Hiya, I'm Claudia from Cointos Collective. Welcome to Cointos Conversations, our new podcast for chatting about the methods, magic and madness behind making theatre with a range of emerging and established companies and creatives. This first series of conversations aims to answer the question of how we create theatre in response to climate emergency. Our show, Freak Out, will be at the Vault Festival 2023 at the Network Theatre Waterloo, London on the 18th to 19th of March. And it follows a community facing the loss of their homes as a result of coastal erosion accelerated by climate change. Our process of going back to the show to rework and investigate it in preparation for the Vault Festival inspired us to open up conversations for sharing creative approaches, inspirations and aspirations when making work that addresses and reflects and confronts climate change. In this episode, I will be talking to James Island and Kate Bauer from Bradan Theatre, who will be bringing their play My Lover Was a Salmon in the Climate Apocalypse to this year's Vault Festival from Tuesday the 28th of Feb to Sunday the 5th of March at the Pit in the Vaults Waterloo. My Lover Was a Salmon in the Climate Apocalypse is a piece of ecological gig theatre which tells the story of protagonist Finn who feels a very strong affinity with salmon and uh, how they're affected by climate change. This escalates to the point where he believes he is a salmon, which eventually has an impact on his human relationships. Here's what happened during our conversation. So would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Um, sure. Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm James. Um, they, them pronouns. I, I do the writing with Brad on theatre. Hello, I'm Kate. I use she, her pronouns and I'm the director for Brad on theatre. Great. So I'm really interested in knowing how um, Bradan Theatre came into being. Like, how did you start working together? Um, where did you meet? What's your kind of origin story? Go on, well, Kate, we if you want to take this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We both met in Dublin uh, for our BA in Drama and Theatre Studies. And that's where we started making theatre together. So you kind of just met uh, at uni then and it just kind of formed out of out of that kind of working relationship. Yeah, we've been, yeah, for nearly 10 years um, friendship, I think 10 or 11 years, yeah, so which feels like uh, an age ago. Yeah, we, we did a four year course in Trinity and stayed friends and we've been making theatre both in Dublin and in London now, where we're both based. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, so our company uh, only formed last year and we met on this, um, so we were put together through this scheme called Made in Bristol. It's a residency. It's a theatre making residency cool. and um, where they uh, bring together a group of like n nine young people. Um, and yeah, we sort of, you know, collaborated, made a show together and then Freak Out kind of was born out of that as our final piece. So it's exciting to talk to companies who have been established for so much longer. Like we feel so um, new, brand new. So it's it's good to sort of yeah talk about like the different um evolutions of how people work um so sorry just, uh, sorry just to add I think we've actually we've been friends for all that time but brought on as a theater company has only actually been in existence for the last year and a half or so um oh. so yeah we're not we're not a 10-year theater company <laughs> and, hey. um we are so it's been I suppose if that was a better way of saying it We've been friends for 10 years, but brought on as a theatre company has existed for about a year and a half. And we it came about actually as a result of making our show, My Lover Was a Salmon in the Climate Apocalypse. But I think built really well into how we both want to make theatre. And that's why we established this company. Yeah, we've we've made a few shows together and things before that, but um, it seemed like a good point to kind of formalise it into something that would have we'd be able to kind of carry forward with a bit more of a mission statement, show to show, rather than kind of swinging wildly from from one to the next with with no kind of follow through of, of audience. So, has your work always been grounded in kind of environmental concerns, and because you make ecological theatre and you know has that always been the case you said that you worked together before yeah I think in, in terms of my, my writing at least um obviously I think every, every writer sort of goes through the phase of just sort of writing for yourself rather than kind of writing writing for the world or whatever so um 
you know, kind of plenty of writing in my past, which which wasn't particularly eco eco focused. Um, but I suppose I I'm I'm very interested in kind of theatre programming. Um, you know, like what theatres and festivals choose to give space to, give money to, what they think is worth platforming. Um, and I suppose it's impossible not to kind of reflect that back onto my own writing as well. Um, so now um, I kind of write with a view less less interior and more kind of what I want to see changed in the world. Um, so I suppose like, you know, as well as the kind of eco stuff, um, you know, as, as Kate was saying, I, I've lived in Ireland a long time um, after growing up in England and seeing the kind of general lack of awareness in the UK for its colonial history and its kind of effects on Ireland and elsewhere because of that. You know, like a lot of my writing has a kind of heavy post-colonial or, or anti-colonial element. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose, like, generally speaking, there's a kind of political element to my thinking and writing. Um, I suppose that's kind of what happens when you when you take the approach of writing, like, what 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 do I want to see change in the world? Um, but then, yeah, as you say, there's the, there's the whole ecological crisis in the world right now as well. And kind of what, what bigger thing. Looming <laughs> problem is there? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah I suppose climate's always been there in my mind you know even as a child kind of thinking about like carbon footprint sort of stuff um, which which we know now has its own kind of <laughs> problems as a paradigm um, yeah. but I suppose a big kind of change in my writing was maybe in, in 2018 um, I moved to London to start a master's um, and suddenly I had a bit more time in my life uh, instead of working like kind of 60 hour weeks in the service industry and kind of had a moment to, to sort of catch up on reading like academic climate research again um which I was just doing in my spare time because I was interested um and yeah I didn't know it was kind of so bad um and that kind of that really affected me so suddenly the climate went right to the top of the list in, in my writing it sort of just came to the the forefront of your experience I think sometimes it's 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 one of those things that we always kind of hear about but then it's like when you actually um delve into that kind of in a more research-based way I think um yeah with with us it kind of wasn't as we didn't start out as a kind of a climate theatre company um or you know generally we've always been just like interested in community um and just so our first show that we made together was about kind of so we interviewed care home residents um, about nights out in Bristol and their memories of going out and you know uh, the city and the the buildings and how the city had sort of changed over time and we got these kind of beautiful conversations and we turned them into this um, like interactive like bingo show um oh, class. <laughs> it was it's it was such a, it was so lovely and um we brought it to stroud festival as well um just in september so it's it was very like kind of uh different to freak out but that i think the thread is that kind of we always have been interested in just community and you know and and memory and i guess there is that kind of thread of being attached to a, a place and yeah, with with freak out, we're kind of more focused on like a coastal town and and you know the environmental imp the way uh, coastal erosion has been accelerated by climate change, but also the impact on like memories and stories and um, yeah, the more kind of interpersonal relationships. So it isn't. It's yeah, we didn't have like the most kind of uh, obvious route to this kind of climate uh exploration but it's just interesting to sort of yeah. examine the the kind of change over time or um yes yeah, it's, it's a good reminder that climate stuff can be well is kind of deeply personal and deeply kind of you know person by person it's it's not just a kind of big worldwide broad thing i, I really like the sense of yeah community specificity you're kind of bringing in with that well yeah um so we specifically looked at um, Hapsborough in Norfolk, which is a town that have actually, in the last two decades, uh, 30, 34 homes have been lost um, to the waves. And uh, we kind of, I don't know, really resonated with this sort of um, this place and just the enthusiasm the community had and how we saw how they'd thrown this fundraising party and that kind of acted as like a stimulus for the narrative of our show. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it was that that balance of like the personal connection, 
um, kind of just really just enjoying seeing how these people just had a lot of resilience. Um, and yeah, and then also that kind of like actual kind of research of like how, you know, um, the UK is, you know, has the fastest eroding coastline um, in Europe. Um, so yeah, it's that kind of how finding routes to sort of access your research. Um, just going off that, what in terms of climate specifically inspired you uh, initially to to write your show, My Lover Was a Salmon in the Climate Apocalypse? Was there like a, an event? Um, yeah, well, I suppose uh, it kind of between myself and Kate, we went through a, a lot of iterations of, um, you know, a, an idea that I took, which was incredibly unwieldy. And and, <laughs> and Kate kind of said, have you considered editing it <laughs> <laughs> and brought a few different kind of extra paradigms or ways to look at it in? Um, and we did the kind of classic thing of, of writing different versions of an idea for different applications until we kind of slowly molded something we liked. Um, but to try and summarize that process, um, I think one of the, the big things that I that I always had in the heart at the heart of, of the idea was just sort of thinking through the, the disconnect of humanity and the biosphere. Um, where, where in my mind, you know, it's it's a biosphere. We're integrally part of it. It's part of us. Um, but a lot of people um, these days, or at least in, in our society, um, don't, you know, there's a disconnect. Um, they, they see themselves as separate from nature um, or outside of it. And, and of course, that has horrendous ramifications when it comes to actually messing about with, with the climate. Um, so I suppose, um, yes, well, to unpack that a bit, um, <laughs> I, I've, I've always kind of, um, you know, animals, nature, landscape to that, and that kind of stuff to me has always been like a, a massive part of my life from as early as I remember, I just sit watching like nature documentaries or live in, in the Natural History Museum in London <laughs> as a kid. Um, it's been like a, a massive part of my life. Um, and, and, you know, now as an adult, you know, it's really, it's really painful watching people in the world kind of destroying landscape, destroying living things on this kind of fundamentally massive scale. Um, like, I, like, I just, I just think like these are, these are creatures with consciousnesses that are facing their own apocalypses, like everything they know is falling apart. Um, and I suppose if, if we kind of put aside for a second that, that damaging and destabilizing the biosphere is killing humans right now as well. Um, just think for a second, if you're like one of the creatures whose universe is falling down, like imagine if like you felt that and it, or if you like treated them with the same respect you treat yourself, like, I, I don't know, I, if, if everyone saw nature as part of themselves, themselves as part of nature, like, like wouldn't that mess with your I don't know it's just it just absolutely mess with your head like like what what we're doing so so kind of I don't know in in my level with a salmon um I took this kind of rather silly approach to this and followed through with this idea of if we are part of the biosphere and the biosphere is part of us like what happens if if someone hears me say that and and kind of goes you're right James I am part of the biosphere I'm a salmon <laughs> <laughs> okay so I see how there's that kind of like emotional like leap that you went through just to kind of get you know get to that point of like okay what what if like a big kind of question of what if might have been like yeah it seems like the core of the beginning of that show um which is like a really kind of like um fertile and exciting start um to yeah that yeah just that um my brain is gone I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to say <laughs> it's a really it's a really exciting uh yeah start initiation of this kind of yeah that the salmon just think that makes me think of just like this just everything you said in terms of just relating personally to to such like a broad issue this reminds me of this um moment in our creative process where I kind of introduced into the room this activity which I kind of, I learned uh, about through this workshop I did with David Lane who's this director he did a show called what's what remains of us and it was about sort of family reunions um, with people from North and South Korea and he talked about how to sort of 
how do you personally access research and yeah you know a a real kind of you know world event um and how to sort of relate to that um and whether also it's appropriate for you to be kind of um the one who talks about this so we did this sort of uh activity where we uh essentially just got a piece of paper on one side uh it was kind of how personally we related to climate change on sort of like a community level maybe we all had experiences of kind of having having an attachment to a place or I don't know uh I remember I wrote down something about like when I left London for the first time and there was this sense of kind of abandoning this uh place that was part of my identity and I went to Bristol and I had to sort of figure out what what that meant and what was home um and then we had the other side of the sheet of paper which was kind of how does the uh, you know how do we connect this to what's going on in politics right now um you know so things like the latest ipcc report and um just the pandemic and just all these kind of events that kind of do link to um this sense of loss of home and climate change so yeah um sorry I talked about that for a long time but yeah that kind of reminds me of this kind of yeah just trying to sort of create that personal um landscape within a real a real issue um yeah no that's really interesting um it's definitely one for me one of the hardest things I suppose I, my my natural instinct and this is like Kate where your input's been so valuable kind of shaping the idea um because my, my instinct is always to go so heavy with the research mm-hmm. and I read so much um and then it's really hard to shape that into something that's kind of retains the human element when, when my instinct is you know so easily to be like but but what about this information what about these facts and you've really you know you lose you lose so much of the research when you put it into the play and you're always you as the writer know what's not in there which is like yeah. so sad <laughs> but there are a few kind of little kind of I suppose yeah rhetorical devices or, or tricks that we we manage to fit into the play to kind of give the characters an excuse to go on a bit of a, a rant about something um where where you're hearing like facts figures ideas but it's but hopefully we've kind of come up with a way to to do it where where it doesn't come across as the writer's voice, where it's so mm-hmm. where it is kind of definitely coming from from the characters and, and their kind of world experience positions and the things that they want to say and and kind of failing, you know, not not getting it, not getting it right, not getting it spot on either, which I think is is also the key. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um I think especially what you said, Claudia, about, you know do we you know when we were doing it definitely in terms of like the research or you know when James is doing the research or how we were translating the research that James had done or the writing James had done into a stage show it was we did have a really good workshop uh with Vault because the show was originally uh going to be performed at Vault Festival 2022 uh, which sadly was cancelled but we had a really good um, workshop where there was a question where about your sort of level of engagement with um, climate crisis and research. And we had a really interesting moment where we talked about kind of the level to which you would go. And Mm. I think that was personally nice for me because I think because it is so scary and because it's kind of omnipresent, uh, the idea of the sort of climate catastrophe or climate crisis that, it's hard to actually engage with it mentally sometimes so actually having that level and kind of having these roles in the company like James and I had where James will probably (laughs) safe to say delve a lot deeper than me but there's still like that and to use you know this analogy maybe in terms of climate crisis but like an iceberg effect of like that I think that knowledge does shine through even if it's only a small amount being shown on stage um I think that the sense of that research and that passion for our subject really comes through in how we do it as well so I think that's really important to yeah not not be so yeah I think kind of have that trust in the audience which is sometimes the scariest part when you are making this kind of theatre because you want to yeah and we can talk about that later but I think trust in the audience is, is a really interesting part of making these kind of shows yeah and giving them space to sort of make up their own mind and I, and I think that that's like such a thing when you're when you're tackling 
uh, a research-based like kind of piece I guess um, you don't want to sort of just just present just a load of like overwhelm um, so in terms of the way you access and approach the you know the content of the play in terms of the climate and the heavy themes how do you use your aesthetics in terms of your trad music and your audience interaction to tackle these kind of heavy themes what does that look like on stage yeah sure I suppose this kind of goes back to the like James said the many many iterations we had of the show where I have always or not not necessarily always but I've always had an interest in the relationship between sound and theatre and how there's like a really strong interplay and I for the last couple of years had a massive interest in doing a gig theatre show as a format and I came to James and was really excited about doing sort of matching uh, their writing with uh, specifically the my lover or my lover was a salmon in the climate apocalypse as it was then with this format and I thought it would be an amazing idea to bring the sense of Irish because it's based on an Irish myth the salmon of knowledge I thought it'd be really great to bring in a sense of Irish trad and folk music to really show that change in environment so at the beginning the sort of original original idea was the trad and folk music would be very kind of acoustic in the beginning and gradually as the show goes on and we like veer towards the apocalypse the show gets much more focused on bringing in like like electronic equipment and um things like that so it doesn't it didn't necessarily completely work out like that but I think that emphasis is still there in terms of uh giving the audience uh something to focus on in terms of so when the audience walk in what they see is a band and they see three actors on stage and they're you know doing sort of like it looks like a trad folk session where they're just sort of playing then playing some tunes together and the sort of uh artifice of the 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 show is that they're a band playing their first gig and they're brought on and they're a band and they're like so excited to get going. They've been playing in their bedroom over lockdown and they're just raring to go. And a lot of their music is focused on the environment and they're very kind of environmentally focused as a group. And well, some some more than others. And the the show basically breaks down when one of the characters gets caught up in feelings about the environment and uh, what they're actually singing about. So I think it's kind of interesting the way James is you know talking about like, so we kind of, the, I think a lot of the things in the show are like, we know things to be facts or we, we kind of know that it's not good. You know, as, as a society, we're like climate change, you know, um, you know, sustainability. We kind of know it's not good. But I think because a lot of us just need to get through the day, you kind of need to have those blinkers on sometimes. But one of the characters basically represents that sense of like, no, I, I've, I actually can't uh, live with this anymore so I must become a salmon and that's uh the, the yeah the kind of the show goes on this sort of more abstract uh le level uh where we take the audience we move the audience from being in this gig and I think that's where a lot of the interaction comes in in the beginning of you know asking them to sing along to you know mm -hmm. be involved and they're very much in this environment so the idea is to bring them in and to say like you are with us you know we're we're together we can see you you know there's no fourth wall and then when that shifts later on in the show we basically involve a sense of complicity in a way where we're as James has said we're kind of invoking them to feel like what it would be like to actually be these creatures so again I don't want to give too much away but one of our actors addresses them as if they were in fact the salmon and has a speech where it's in a way kind of saying like oh guys come on like you know we're all salmon and obviously the humans they're like they, they really don't know that they're doing this to us so it is an interesting sense of complicity that I think feeds well into our approach which is more to let an audience sit with information and sit and ponder rather than sort of being like telling them what to do which I think personally is a much better approach uh, specifically for our show as well or in, in general um, and I think using the music that in the beginning was 
inviting and brought you into the space and brought you into their world then when it flips and they use the music to show the emotion and the 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 kind of the situation dissolving it takes on a different a different level and I think as an audience member hopefully you feel that change and you feel that like sense of like oh things aren't the same and they can't be the same because you've got the knowledge now of the situation which feeds back into the the original myth uh, very well but yeah I think that's the, the kind of the thinking behind our our relationship with the audience that's really that's like a really interesting way to sort of kind of just place the audience in a, in in a position of kind of trying to imagine themselves and and also bringing them in and this kind of uh, I think the thing about like music and and song uh, it just really does u- unite people it's quite like a comfortable uh, space for you know people to you know sing along or whatever that's really kind of it's it sounds very exciting um, and it you know with with us we kind of had we had these sort of um, discussions about how to involve the audience. And, you know, we ended up not going maybe down more of a uh, kind of music kind of route, but we definitely went down a sort of route of um, maybe more bringing in some more performance art elements. So we have this kind of clown character who builds a sound sandcastle with the audience, uh, invites an audience member up on stage. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of discussion of, like, what does it mean to involve an audience in a show about climate like what does that mean and and I think we had a lot of talks in the rehearsal room you know because essentially again just giving away some spoilers but you know there's a sandcastle bit on stage and and uh it's kind of what does that what does that mean in terms of bringing an audience with with you in this journey of, of building and uh destroying and uh and in terms of climate it's you know you don't want to just be pointing fingers at people and you know um carbon shaming or whatever it is but it's also bringing bringing the audience along along on a journey um and without alienating them uh so it feels like we both experienced that sort of that sort of those conversations of like how to make it you know a safe space for people to explore things that's like a bit uncomfortable as well Mm. so so we found that kind of relationship with the audience uh came through that clowning character um through that sandcastle and the sort of the the playfulness that that brought to the piece um that was kind of how we accessed kind of making the audience feel um comfortable in that space of contemplation um so just thinking about that uh you mentioned um on your website i believe that the last thing that you want to do is make a depressing climate show um aiming instead to create work that kind of energizes or creates space for contemplation and brings people together um so i just i'm interested so in in your creative process like in rehearsals for example what did you kind of do to avoid presenting this kind of solely negative portrayal um or doomist narrative uh of kind of climate uh issues um how did you kind of you know find that sort of balance in in tone tonally Mm. well I think the lucky thing is I suppose um especially coming from an Irish background a lot of the comedy (laughs) is quite dark um or and I think of the way we deal with a lot of things is is uh even if you're in the worst situation I think humor is always going to be a method of getting through anything and highlighting the highs and lows of any situation and I think that was something we really wanted to get across in terms of the balance of the characters inviting you into this space and getting you to sing along to songs and it's kind of funny and it's or hopefully it's funny um audience audiences seem to think it's funny um where you know you're you're kind of engaging so I think a lot of the time I like like very much like this sort of um basic device of like you know hit the audience when they're crying when they're laughing and then they're crying and then they're back to being laughing again so it's uh I think it's a nice device in terms of 
I think when you're laughing at things and having a good time, you're kind of more perceptive or you could be potentially more perceptive or more capable of taking in things because you've kind of had a bit of release and you're a bit more chilled. Um, And I think definitely in terms of the rehearsal process, that was something that was very important to me as a director in terms of having actors in the space uh, with a very clear, like checking in and checking out process, because when you, when we come into the room again, we're all, we've all become very close. Um, And again, I think it was important to understand people have different comfort levels and people have different like like we said between like even myself and James I think some people not not necessarily think about it more than others but some people just have different um comfort levels when it comes to how deeply they want to go into the darkness sort of so to speak so I think it was important and we definitely did a lot of work in our research and development process near the beginning of uh 2022 in terms of how we could make this process sustainable in terms of like actual climate uh, sustainability, but also on a human level. And I think that really made us, or made me, especially in rehearsals, be a lot more honest with the actors and say, you know, taking lots of breaks, checking into a space and making sure we had a really definite like sense of closure coming out of the space. Um, We were very much on hand if people wanted to talk about anything or offering, you know, climate, sort of resources or researching things like that in terms of acknowledging that it's a different it's not just you know something that is uh people encounter every day you know you don't necessarily delve into the depths of climate emergency in every rehearsal process sometimes it's much more you know in and out and it's uh maybe not delving into something like that so I think that was really important and I think it was really important as well I think we mentioned already in terms of like being didactic with an audience because I think we we initially when we were doing the show we were like okay maybe we could have just like a very definitive like don't eat fish you know or like you know don't don't do this or you know and I think as we went through the process and as we you know learned from a lot of people helped us a lot of practitioners helped us along the way I think it was really important that we actually and it also does kind of seem like a bit of a cop-out as well when you're making it because you kind of want something to really sink your teeth into but I think you can really sink your teeth into this this um, show and these concepts because they are making you think and they are putting you in a position like we kind of said it or said at the beginning of this this sort of question of like you are like laughing and you're kind of like like there's a segment where I think a lot of people our age can kind of relate to where one of the characters kind of lists going to do their shopping and they're just so overwhelmed. and They're like, oh, my God, I can't even buy avocados or like, you know, I'm reading the planet and I can't do this. So it's it's funny because it's relatable because I think as as people we're, we're trying to do our best a lot of the time, uh, to be honest. But sometimes we're the sense of easiness or the sense of um convenience can often take over which isn't you know the worst thing in the world but sometimes that's uh the easiest option is, is maybe not the best option sometimes but I think that, that was something that we definitely played into and I think what we mentioned in terms of or James mentioned in terms of like facts and research I think it's really interesting to the portrayal of a lot of the ways that we talk about these facts or figures like one of the characters reams off a lot of facts. And I think we were kind of interested in that being sort of funny and kind of like a Instagram, you know, these kind of clickbaity sort of Instagram things like, oh, actually, did you know this thing about the climate where they're not necessarily interested in someone listening or maybe taking it in. It's more of like a, maybe they're, they're, they're personally feel much more empowered and much better about themselves for sharing the information. And how do we go from sharing information to actually bringing some into, someone into a conversation? So I think that was a really big difference. And yeah, so I think that was that actually fed into how we how we end the piece as well. It's uh, yes, I think it's 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 that kind of um, it, we also had a character. We had a lot of characters and who kind of felt this sense of overwhelm. And and I and I think that that feels very similar. The the thing that you mentioned about the shopping list. Um, I, 
there's there's this uh the character which i play in the piece there's this kind of um bit where you know it's kind of like 20 practices to combat climate climate uh anxiety um and you know it, it there and i and i think in within the show we confront this idea of climate anxiety and how like stressful it is to confront these kind of uh thoughts on the daily and then we also had to kind of think how are we doing this in our practice as well and it's interesting that you're talking about this in terms of the rehearsal room because yeah i think the proximity uh to the 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 threat of um you know climate catastrophe we all actually what we realized in the space is that everyone brought their different kind of lived experiences we had two members of the company who um grew up in coastal towns and so there was obviously going to be so much more uh there was a lot of conversations had about that and you know and I think just like checking in we we regularly were trying to sort of make sure that it was an environment where it was kind of safe for everyone and it was sustainable as you mentioned for everyone um and yeah I think it's that it's it's really interesting when you when you when you're you know um in a space and you you have these sort of conversations um both in the room and the making but also on stage it's kind of it's a hard one to balance and I think comedy lends itself really well to that as you said just um how laughter itself is such a release but also it's yeah. such um I mean you know I feel like I read a lot about this at, in uni about like the actual sensation of human laughter is such like a strange physical thing that like animals don't really do and it's like yeah. a, so it's a weird <laughs> one anyway but like you know, it is a, it's a release, but also it's like okay, I've, my body has reacted to something I've seen. I have to confront yeah, it. Yeah. What did you yeah, say? And the, I just said sorry. It's, I said yeah, it's unifying. Like as as an experience, you know, you you were in it together, um, and I think yeah, exactly what you said in terms of knowing who people are and what what they're interested in. And I think uh, I mentioned <clears throat> about the beginning, but. I think or at the ending and actually the ending I think we we again left quite open but I don't want to make any spoilers but I think we did leave a sense of hope or a sense of potential for the future and I think again in a lot of climate-based work it's I think it's really important um especially to do with the doom and gloom like we're mentioning about you know we do want to make a depressing climate show but we also don't want to be like yay we solved it you know we definitely did a lot of revision and did a lot of work and actually it was pretty it was pretty beautiful in the sense of it actually came down to moving away from necessarily or the breakdown of, of language and words and actually moved into a very fluid musical space um this is a very kind of <laughs> talking around what the actual ending is but I think it was I love actually, it it's great <laughs> yeah it, it really it really I think it brought it brought a lot of emotion up and I think that was and it was kind of like a, a cleansing sort of action um and I think what we you know we talk about people getting burned out or and actually when we were in Edinburgh actually one of the most beautiful audience reactions was this person came up to us at the end and they actually worked in sustainability in terms of um looking at like greener energy and they they or they spent they were researching a lot and they spent a lot of time in it and uh he came up to us and he was like in nearly in tears and you know he kind of said like I think it's also just important and we to show people and like they feel seen on stage and like show climate anxiety in a way where it's in the small things like it's in the shopping lists and it's also in the big uh hard to quantify and approach ideas so I think we both we tried to hit both both sides of that and I think that was nice to to feel like someone had been had been seen in that way especially when they're so close to a lot of the content and they work with it a, lot, a, a lot every day and from from a mental health perspective actually show people that like we hear you and we see you and we also want to leave space for you to engage with it in as as much or as little as you want to and then leave the space hopefully a bit cleansed and able to think about it during the day and not sort of fall into a heap and cry and say like it's all you know it's all gonna end or the apocalypse is near um but actually I've had a little yeah I've had I've had I've been washed they've been washed a bit from my mind um 
and I can I can kind of keep them in there and access them when I need to and let them percolate. That's interesting that you're you know the thought process behind you know how to end the piece and how you kind of you mentioned that you kind of diverged a bit from the music and the am I correct in saying that? Oh, no, we we I think we kind of diverge a bit from the the words and um words. there was kind of like quite a big there's a big moment <laughs> mm-hmm. again I'm like speaking around it but there's a big <laughs> moment that happens uh yeah and we basically uh had a really big discussion about how to show a big uh, what's the kind of the after effects of this big moment and how to show the breakdown of language in a way that was yeah. sort of normally structured and show actually then then and moving away from language into the music so it was quite cyclical in terms of we start with the band playing and we end with the band playing and there's no talking you know so we end with a uh, a sense of from a writing perspective yeah. I suppose like there are a lot of kind of textures you can I can play with as a writer um and yeah some of the things we kind of discussed was like well if you've got dialogue all the way through that's still dialogue all the way through if you're trying to create a sense that like something is different now which can kind of bring you into that sense of hope um you know we can play with something else like changing the way the language is structured in the play moving away from kind of dialogue or monologue onto something like a more poetic register and then we can push that even further and kind of drop the words all together um which i think am i kind of paraphrasing <laughs> somewhere somewhere around what we we're doing <laughs> No, that no, that's that's that. Thank you for clarifying that for me. So yeah, I've got a kind of more of an idea of like, I, I guess why I picked up on it is just because in our final scene, um, we strip back a lot of the theatrical elements that maybe we had at the beginning. You know, we had movement, we have um, kind of a lot of sort of performance art elements scattered through, and then yeah, the end is very kind of two people, two characters just having a conversation, and um, just really just on that sort of ending it on a hopeful note I I think we didn't necessarily think that we ended it on a hugely hopeful note but it was that the characters were hopeful and it's that kind of optimism bias thing that we as human beings have and it's like a kind of terrible and also amazing and I think that's kind of what we just wanted to leave the audience with it's like you know wow humanity really we do have the capacity for immense hope and and action and you know just a sort of moment of like what next okay what are they going to do what's actually going to happen next um we kind of wanted to leave it there um and endings are super hard to to get right so i i mean it's especially when it's something that's you you care about a lot and you feel a responsibility to your audience and not just, yeah, making them depressed, you know? Um, So yeah, totally. It's just interesting, like the ways you can access those kind of decisions, like through style, uh, stylistic decisions. Um, I said that twice, but yes. (laughs) Um, Great. So, well, something that I also wanted to just bring up because it's really cool is that, uh, my lover was a salmon in the climate apocalypse. Uh, won the staging change uh, vault award last year. So yeah, just wanted to say congratulations. Um, Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's really cool, um, and I just am specifically interested in the fact that you know um, one of the criteria for this award was kind of making theatre uh, sustainably and you know considering your environmental impact. Um, as well as kind of making, you know, uh, a piece about environment, uh, environmental issues. So uh, I guess I'm just wondering, just in terms of, you know, we're quite a new theatre company, but also kind of just thinking broader uh, theatre makers who want to engage with climate issues, what advice would you give to kind of, uh, yeah, theatre makers who are wanting to create work in a, in a sustainable way? Um. Yeah, we, we were really lucky to have a consultation, consultation session with um, Josie Dell Jones from Staging Change as a result of the award. Um, and she gave some kind of really, really helpful um, and really useful kind of additional pointers as, as well, kind of 
on top of what we sort of submitted in for the awards. But some of the things that kind of we think about, um, or even in my own kind of theorization of it, um, so I see kind of eco theatre practice having kind of, I suppose th there are two sides to it. There's the, the making and the delivery kind of in a practical process being as ecologically sustainable as possible. And then kind of there's secondly, like the artistic concept of the show might have goals in terms of ecological thinking, like creating change or, or suggesting new ways of thinking. Um, but but I suppose in terms of the, the practical delivery, um, we, we've done a lot of kind of conceptualization of our work to be as mobile and easily deliverable as possible um, in terms of like potential touring for the future, in terms of bringing it to like fringe festivals, this sort of thing. You know, we've kind of made decisions like like a commitment not to use a set design, um, you know, um, commitments to like source all our own kind of costume from our own collections. Um, I mean, we, we use instruments in our work, um, so everything has a kind of continued life outside the show. But but even when we've um, when we've wanted to kind of like purchase something specific, um, we, we wanted a pedal board for the show because it was just an absolute mess setting up the effects pedals every every day. So so we got that kind of secondhand from eBay rather than bought new or kind of shipped from like wherever you know UK seller from eBay. Um, you know other things like kind of you know small print runs qr codes on the flyers get people to take a photo of the flyer instead of instead of kind of take it away with them this sort of thing um and then kind of more sort of conceptually um we we went we went really in on this um in in another one of our shows cooking the vegan salmon of knowledge um which we did in dublin um where we kind of kind of created it or conceptualized it to kind of be deliverable by by one person um with with props that can be by one person in like a big camping rucksack plus a guitar and and just asking for a, a table from the venue like it doesn't matter what kind of table um and that was kind of like one of our solutions to to the kind of idea of like how how do you tour sustainably um you know one of the things is you have to cut cast members really less people um less people and and like less stuff to carry um but of course you can go even further than that that there was like a great show i saw um called pathetic fallacy by chop theater um where it's it's delivered by um the, the artists from canada and she gets a she kind of tours it around the world so to speak um and just gets a kind of gets a different performer every day from the host country um, and just gives them a set of video instructions. And you're then kind of watching a performer who's never done the play before interacting with this video performance from um, the, the artist in Canada. And, and that's like a way to, to tour a show where there's, you know, you're, you're even managing to eliminate the travel side of it, um, which is really cool. So, I mean, like, and anyone who wants to like get on making even weirder paradigms, um, please go for it. In some ways, our, our kind of approach is quite conventional. Um, but there are other things like um, I suppose we kind of, you know, we think it's worth spending money on, on people, not objects. Um, you know, like something we'd love to do in the future is, um, you know, obviously we have no set designs. Um, so I think it would be, you know, amazing um if we manage to find like a bit of extra funding um to you know hire a lighting designer for for the superb visuals rather than building a set design you know this sort of stuff um just general kind of thinking sustainably for our own lives during the creative process um so sort of grouping rehearsals together in kind of larger chunks in like smaller days rather than having a play that kind of stretches out and kind of takes over your whole life for kind of four, four weeks or so. Um, because it's really important to kind of keep yourself rested um, because if you're not making sustainable choices in your own life, like in, in, in the show, then you're not going to be making them in your own life. Um, and that's where kind of stuff like you were saying there, Kate, kind of comes in of, you know, you, you go to rehearsals, after, you go to Tesco to grab your food after rehearsals and you're exhausted and you just kind of instead of cooking at home. This sort of stuff, you know, it's, it's important to take care of yourself. Um, 
I mean, we, I mean, we were in, in our rehearsals, we were, we were kind of doing big old, we were cooking big vegan meals for the team every lunchtime. Um, this sort of stuff, which is not very wholesome. Uh, a little bit of a scattered response there, but uh, hopefully there's some content there that kind of people can take away. We're not experts by any means, I'll say I that. I thought you were saying, I thought you were saying a scattered response to my cooking. I was like, excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> Your cooking was beautiful. Yeah, people were like, uh, it was crap, by the way. So, uh, where's, yeah. where's the compliments on my cooking, Kate? <laughs> oh, good. Pretty divided. Scattered response, scattered response. Yeah. Definitely something that, yeah, I think we really all need to kind of think about as artists is just like, yeah, just, just being more sustainable. Is there opportunity to reuse stuff? I mean, I'm doing the set design for our show. And, you know, we are repurposing a lot of um, props and um, like, for example, our iconic like houses that was from, I think they'd been in two shows uh, since. So they were used in like Bristol Vic Theatre School, did a show with them originally. And then uh, this other show for the current Made in Bristol uh, uh, cohort uh, also used the houses as well so I think it's like it's also it's it's also just like thinking about where are opportunities where I can just like redefine this object and give it a second life and you know just reduce waste like that um sorry I think also you just yeah I think it's just about I think when you're trying to be sustainable you're also trying to be like thinking more long term like you said about reusing things or if we are buying something, are we going to use it again? So exactly like you said about your houses or, you know, our our instruments or equipment, it's, yeah, it's not a one-off, you know, so it's built very much into how we want to then work in the future. So I think that's, it requires, you know, and like, it's very easy then if you forget something to be like, I'll just do like a last minute order or something, but you can't really do that necessarily if you want to sort of truly um, live sort of in those sort of sustainable practices so I think it does require a lot of organization and thinking ahead which obviously in you know in reality sometimes doesn't work out and you have to be you know not too hard on yourselves in those circumstances but as much as you can I think yeah it requires a lot of pre-planning and organization in order to actually live out those values and those sustainable aspects of the show. I, I totally agree. And, you know, this has just got me thinking just now, you know, um, the act of just like borrowing from other like touring shows or if people just like spoke more about what they have and what people need. I, I don't know, just like creating a community of, of sustainable practice, I think needs to happen. Just, yeah, like, oh, I have a load of, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know for example, the houses, you know, that these little houses just, yeah, have had so many lives. It's great. And I think, yeah, let, uh, let's, we need to do that more um, as, as creatives. So what are your future plans as a company um, in terms of kind of creative, creatively could be in terms of your sustainable practice? Um, what, what are you kind of thinking for the next, say, I don't know, year or so? I think what you mentioned near the beginning, Claudia, about the sense of community is something that will take very much forward in terms of our practice and something that we're always thinking about in our practice. And I think that was the real shift we saw when we were thinking about My Lover Was a Salmon in the climate apocalypse, about how we made it and the response to it and how the show maybe was perceived. And then going into our Dublin Fringe Festival show, Cooking the Vegan Salmon of Knowledge, because they definitely had a very different tonal quality. And I think it was something that we really wanted to pick up upon in terms of feeling enveloped and feeling welcome and feeling safe in an environment. And I think we really tried to emphasize that when we made the show in Dublin Fringe with cooking the vegan salmon of knowledge of making sure that people felt like it was a very one-on-one -on -one kind of experience with uh, James as the performer and we definitely brought that experience of My Lover Was a Salmon in the Climate Apocalypse into that show because it was just slightly different tonally and how we approached a lot of the music in the show and I think that will definitely feed into what we want to do in the future in terms of community building and we're, we've got a workshop scheduled on, I'm not sure if it will be around when this goes out, on the 21st of February, we'll be, we'll be doing a workshop in King's College London as part of their Climate and Sustainability Month. 
So I think looking to the future, we're definitely looking to do more work with the community, more work that um, engages communities as as you guys have done, which is so inspiring. And uh, another theatre company I want to shout out is Shy Bairn. They do a lot of work as well with the communities uh, in the north of England. And so I think a lot of your companies and companies like Shy Bairn are, are very inspirational to us in terms of how to engage local communities. So that's that's what we're thinking about for the future. Those are those are the things things in the work at the moment. That's really exciting. Definitely. And that that will be a really exciting uh, shift or just or more just like, I don't know, re- refocusing or just to see that happening. I'm looking forward to kind of, yeah, seeing what you guys get up to in terms of that. Um, so I just wanted to sort of end um, on this uh, very important question, um, which is why salmon? Why salmon? I hear a lot about it. You guys are banging on about it all the time. Uh, let's, let's, why? Tell me. <laughs> How much time do you have? Yeah, yeah, okay. How this much is going to be the, the beginning of the podcast. Um, now, um, do you guys, uh, I don't know if any of you, anyone, anyone listening ever saw um, about 2018, 2019, there was this like viral video of like a salmon tube. Um, and it was like you, you know, like there's you know there's a dam. It's like stopping the salmon going up river to their to their spawning grounds. Like terrible problem for being a salmon. So they made this like vacuumed tube that like goes yes. over the dam, right? And someone made an edit of this where like they stick the salmon in the tube, and then you get um, "Shallow" by Lady Gaga playing over the top. So <laughs> the salmon is like zooming along in this tube, and it's going like ha ah, ah, ha. Ah, ah. And then it like falls into the water just as, as she's like, I'm in the deep end. In my mind, this is like peak comedy, right? I think generally what, what I'm saying is like some of the kind of absurdist comedy content on the internet is like salmon or, or fish themed. I, I really resonate with that. Um, and generally, there's a lot to say about salmon. Um, you know, obviously they, you know, people do like, eat them as food so there's kind of a lot to there's a lot to talk about there in terms of kind of um industrial food complex veganism environmentalism um and then there's a lot to talk about in terms of like almost like food history like post-colonialism um where like where like in ireland um like because salmon do their like yearly runs up river um and and also all the english like landlords are like like starving all the Irish people and like taking away their food. It's like you could you could like survive by poaching salmon from the rivers. Um, and like this had like a, a like an actually really interesting part in like Irish history, um, like keeping the population alive. Um, there are there are so many other things like in terms of, I suppose, like evolutionary, evolutionarily, humans are fish. We, we come from that family tree um, yeah. and, and our skeletons are, are just the same as fish if you take away the arms and, and the necks, really, you know. Um, there's there's like a whole kind of like folklore element with um, this legend of, of Fionn McCool and the Salmon of Knowledge, um, an Irish, Irish myth. In, in short, I have a lot to say about salmon. I've been obsessed with fish for many years, but salmon seemed like the perfect fish to choose for this show. <laughs> wow so well so many salmon so so many wow i'm i'm just very impressed about your salmon knowledge um, <laughs> and if that isn't enough to entice you there is a part of the show where many different names for salmon are listed in irish so if that's not enticed you to go to the show i think that will to be <laughs> go see the show just for the salmon knowledge just for the list of salmon just in for the list. yes definitely well um this has been so lovely to- talking to you today and uh it's just been really good to sort of yeah really delve into these the, the worlds of our shows and uh i honestly wish you best of luck can you remind us when uh your show is on at the vault festival yeah that's uh 28th of february to 5th of march um, and it's going to be 9.30 p.m. on the weekdays and 9 p.m. on the Saturday and Sunday. 60-minute show, so it's going to be a, a late-night late night madness where everyone turns into a fish. 28th of February to 5th of March. <laughs> that's, oh, guaranteed, yeah. that's, a guarantee, that's a guarantee from us that you will turn into <laughs> a fish. 
um, just just take that whatever way you want, you know. Uh, and also shout out to our amazing uh, actor musicians, uh, Rory, Ellie and Essa. They're honestly the the backbone of all the music in the show in terms of they're amazing. So shout out to those guys and all, all of our friends who helped us along the way, because I think that's hugely important, like we said, about building a community and uh, creatives around the show. And we had actors, Colm and Ebba that were involved in the R&D in the beginning. So again, shout out to those guys because they're all part of the Salmon family. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coin Toss Conversations. You can catch My Lover Was a Salmon in the Climate Apocalypse on Tuesday the 28th of February to Sunday the 5th of March at the Pit in the Vaults. You can also catch our show, Freak Out, at the Network Theatre on the 18th to 19th of March. Tickets are available for both shows on the Vault Festival website. You can follow us at Cointos Collective and all of our socials to stay up to date with our next episode, plus all of our future projects. (laughs) See you soon and thank you for listening.